You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome again to the Domecast, the news and observer and the insider's weekly look into uh, state government and politics in North Carolina. I'm uh, Patrick Gannon of The Insider. I'm filling in again for uh, Andy Curlis, who's uh, dealing with some car issues, I believe. And um, we're here with uh, Colin Campbell of The News and Observer, Craig Jarvis of The News and Observer, and uh, Benjamin Brown of The Insider. We're also going to have a special guest today um, who you'll hear in our uh, second segment. Uh, We're going to start today with Craig Jarvis, The News and Observer, talking about the latest in the uh, uh, Chase Burns uh, sweepstakes political contributions issue. And then our second segment, we'll talk to our special guest, Jane Stancil, about some developments in uh, the board of government at the UNC Board of Governors, as well as Colin Campbell uh, talking about coin flips deciding elections across the state. And then, of course, our third and final segment will be headliners of the week. And uh, we're here now with with Craig Jarvis. Uh, one of the things um, that happened this week is kind of the um, reappearance of the Chase Burns issue has to do with campaign finances, the state board of elections, uh, state politics, and uh, sweepstakes gambling. Um, catch us up to speed. Uh, uh, who, who kind of brought this back into the, the spotlight? Well, it was uh, Lauren Freeman, the Wake County District Attorney, who kind of unexpectedly announced that she was asking the SBI <clears throat> to look into this. Uh, what we thought was probably an open and shut case, or open and shut in the sense that we didn't expect any real developments. Uh, earlier this year, the State Board of Elections looked at this uh, uh, sweepstakes, uh, internet sweepstakes um, mogul, Chase Burns, who, along with other parts of the industry, pumped tons of uh, campaign money into uh, North Carolina back in 2012. And a lot of issues came up about whether any laws were broken. And they, they the, the Board of Elections took a look at it, decided there was nothing they could do. They said, you know, somebody else might be able to do something, but they didn't see any violations. And really, it came down to three issues. Uh, one was a, a straight campaign finance violations by Chase Burns. His money came from a corporate account. Uh, his He... What they couldn't figure out is where it originally originated. Uh, in North Carolina, you can't corporations can't make political contributions, but they couldn't determine through all the mingling with this money where it came from. And that was kind of frustrating to some board members who said this: you can have proceeds of the drug trade, you just put it into some legitimate corporation and then make campaign contributions, and that's all right. Uh, so that was that was one issue that was left hand, uh, hanging. They couldn't they couldn't say for sure one way or the other, if the money that came into North Carolina was illegally corporate money. The other thing was uh, uh, Paul Foley, a member of the board, uh, took a, a, an inordinate interest in this invest, the board's investigation, which went on for better part of two years. Uh, he, he wanted to know where things stood, how it, you know, where it was going, whether there were going to be any charges. And it turned out at the end, he never had disclosed that he works for a law firm that uh, also represented Chase Burns and received a lot of money. So there was that issue. Then the final issue was really uh, another campaign finance thing involving uh, lobbyists. You, you're not allowed to bundle money. You can't collect a bunch of money and turn it in. They found two specific instances where that actually did happen involved the same lobbyist. One, he said it was simply a matter of there was a fundraising party. House uh, uh, President Pro Tem Phil Berger 
It was for him. He left the, the room, left the party without picking up an envelope of checks. So this lobbyist grabbed him, ran down, caught him as he was getting on the elevator and handed him the checks, which is a violation. But some of the board members were thinking, yeah, but he disclosed it himself. It's not that big a deal. Kind of let it slide. But he also admitted that he had also, uh, at some other unspecified time, uh, also presented some bundling of, of, of checks. And uh, then there was a disagreement between that guy's lawyer and, and the counsel for the, uh, for the Board of uh, Elections. Uh, at the time, the statute read a lobbyist couldn't collect, possess, or deliver campaign contributions. And his argument was... Uh, you had to do all three, and he did not do all three. Now the law has been changed. You can't do any of those things. But that, in a nutshell, were the, th- were the three issues. Uh, we can expect the SBI to take a long time to, to poke, poke through it. Does this kind of um, ring as a political thing to you, given that the DA in Wake County is a, a Democrat, and this kind of um, would seem to, to uh, hurt the Republicans in the long run if something happens, or is this just – the next logical step in this process, the State Board of Elections didn't find anything, and now it's now it's criminal investigation time. Or, or yeah, I think I think both those things. It could be. I mean, so much is political, no matter how you uh, cut it, especially with the Board of Elections. Uh, but this is a case where the Board of uh, Elections said. Nothing we can find is a violation in our jurisdiction. Some other agency might want to take a look at it. And that's what we really didn't really count on happening. I mean, who knows? Somebody needed to pick up the ball, and that often falls to the Wake County District Attorney because it's the center of the the, the state capital where the agencies are based. So any kind of uh, charges or investigations often originate out of the DA's office here. So she, a new DA who doesn't have a track record yet, we don't know how she's going to handle these kind of public corruption cases. Um, she's, you know, made it clear she's not going to let this be a loose end. She's going to pursue it. So we'll see where that goes. And Chase Burns, the guy, the guy responsible for all these contributions, has been in trouble elsewhere, correct? Yeah, he's from Oklahoma. He got indicted in Florida, basically, for uh, for other issues related to um, the, the video sweeps industry. I think it was money laundering and a bunch of stuff. He ended up pleading to lesser than what he was charged charged with. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure if he's still in business or not. So the uh, political contributions from the sweepstakes industry um, issue is not closed. Thanks, Craig. And we'll be back on the Domecast with Jane Stancil, our special guest uh, from the News and Observer, who will talk about some developments in at the UNC uh, Board of Governors. We'll be right back. In 2016, when you go to the polls, bring your passion and be sure to bring a photo ID. You see, this election, you'll be asked to show an acceptable photo ID at the polls. If you don't have an ID or if you're unable to obtain one, there are still options for voting. There are lots of acceptable IDs, but only one you. This election, be seen, be heard. For information on exceptions or for help getting a free ID, visit voterid.nc.gov or call 866-522-4723. And we're back here on the Domecast for our second segment this week. And our special guest that I mentioned in in the uh, opening is Jane Stancil of the News and Observer, who's been on the Domecast before, I think. One time. One yes. time. So this is your second time here? Yes. Um as usual, Jane is uh, talking about education-related issues today, specifically 
um, a recent development involving the University of North Carolina Board of Governors, which um, signed off on raises for some of the UNC system chancellors in a closed door meeting, um, you know, in, in the recent past earlier this month. And uh, there's some new developments in that story. Uh, Jane, why don't you, if you can, catch us up to speed on, on the new developments there. Sure. Um, so on October, October 30th, uh, the board met um, behind closed doors. They had a regular meeting, but then they went behind closed doors for, you know, quite a lengthy time, maybe two and a half hours or so. Um, they came out and they uh, had approved these raises, but they didn't give us the information until three days later. Uh, so the media objected to that. Uh, so now it looks like uh, lawmakers are a little bit unhappy with them, too, for their actions behind closed door, uh, their process that they went through. Um, so uh, what's happened is um, House Speaker Tim Moore and uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger have sent a letter by um, Berger's lawyer to the UNC system attorney basically demanding all the records from that closed session on October 30th. Now that that could be, you know, agendas, any kind of documents they were looking at, even taped the taped closed door session. Uh, so tomorrow on Friday, um, the uh, the Board of Governors is holding a special meeting where they're going to discuss this legislative re- request and probably vote to uh, hand over these records. They say that, you know, the law provides for the legislature to do this. They want to see the records. They're going to hand them over. Now, whether we get them is, I guess, still an open question. Isn't the question, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for media outlets like us, I mean, we're not the legislature. The legislature actually has obviously has more power over the Board of Governors than, than we do. But in terms of for us, if we were to request closed session minutes or tape recordings or whatever, what is what would it take for us to, to, to be able to get them? What Well, we have requested the, the minutes from that meeting, uh, the closed session minutes, and they do have to give those over. The, the question then becomes what's in the minutes, you know? Uh, is it going to be a very vague description of what went on or or is it going to be sort of the real meat of, of what was discussed? Now, there were some personnel um, issues apparently in that session when they were talking about, you know, performance of certain people in their jobs, uh, which is allowed to be done uh, in closed session and that we may never find out about. Um, but um, we should be able to get the minutes. They claim that they haven't approved the minutes and they don't plan to do that on Friday. So we may have to wait until December to get those um, to get those records. But we believe that we should have access to them on Friday when they're handed over to the legislature. So is the is the test if they, that they can release closed uh, door minutes and, uh, and other records if it doesn't frustrate? the purpose of the meeting to begin with. Is that exactly okay. So, so and the raises already gotten the raises, right? The raises have been implemented. In fact, they were retroactive to July 1st. So that's done. And there should be no reason for them to be withholding um, these minutes at this point. Any, any idea wh- uh, what's going to happen at the um, GovOps, Gov- Government Operations no, uh, Committee think, meeting next week? This yeah, is on the agenda, right? Right, it's on the agenda, and um, it's a little bit unusual, so uh, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, clearly, 
the legislative leadership is not happy with the board right now. Um, and, and, and who uh, appoints the board? <laughs> the legislative leadership. Well, it's a, it's an election, but, you know, the party in charge gets to a point, and the, the board is almost all Republican at this point. Jane Stancil, thank you very much for being here on the Domecast for the second time. We'll thank talk to you, you again soon. All right. Take care. Now we're here with Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. Um, there were uh, elections across the state, municipal elections across the state, um, earlier this month, and Colin Campbell uh, kind of kept uh, track of some of the interesting developments in, in some of those races we heard about. Uh, Speaker Tim Moore's father uh, not getting elected to the... Kings vote. Mountain City Council. It was an issue there, I think, about the... Uh, uh, Indian casino that's supposed to go up in that area. There's a big controversy in Kings Mountain about that. Uh, Tim Moore's dad was for it. Uh, Tim Moore himself has actually done some work with that. Uh, that apparently got him kicked off the city council there. And uh, there were other interesting uh, elections across the state, but you wrote a very interesting story uh, this week concerning how ties are uh, decided in some of these elections where there's only you know a couple dozen votes uh, per person. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so you would obviously rarely see a tie in a statewide election or a municipal election in a, a larger city because there's just so many votes. The, the odds of uh, coming up exactly even on both sides after you know you count the ballots a few times is really hardly ever happens. But in some of these smaller towns, you know, North Carolina has hundreds of municipalities. Some of them have populations of less than 100 people in them. And if you do the usual low voter turnout uh percentages math for uh, some of these towns. That means that, you know, as few as like a couple dozen people might vote uh, in one of these elections, which makes it a lot more likely that you get a tie. And what was surprising to me in reporting this was that um, the state law does provide a method to break a tie. And it's not what you would expect of, oh, let's just call another election and hopefully maybe more people will turn out and we'll have a you know more definitive outcome. Uh, it's, it comes down to the Board of Elections when they get the results in, certify that it was indeed a tie. The law says that they have to determine it, quote, by lot, which uh, apparently, according to the State Board of Elections, you pretty much can decide on any game of chance sort of thing that you want to do uh, as long as it's sort of uh, fair and, and not you know swayed towards one person. So in most places, uh, the County Board of Elections, and they did this in about six or seven different towns this time around that had ties, uh, simply flips a coin. Um, somebody calls heads, someone calls tails, and whoever comes up on the right side wins the election. Uh, the one exception to that was uh, in Sampson County for the town of Garland, which I could not point out on a map if I tried. Um, they had the candidates select pins of different colors. They spread them out on the uh, table at the board meeting. Uh, each candidate picked their pin. They stuck it in a box, and you know the board of elections chairman closes his eyes, picks out a pin, and the winning color gets a seat on the Garland Town Commission. So it's kind of a, a quirky way of picking elections, and uh, the losers in some of these not so thrilled that uh, that was the, the thing that brought down their bid for political office. So in the coin flips, I, I don't know if you got in this much detail, did they flip the coin and let it drop on the ground and roll around, or did they catch it and flip it over on the back of their hand? 
Uh, you know, I don't know in every single place. Uh, the one place I talked to, which was Clarkton in Bladen County, apparently they let it land on the rug and took a look at it. Um, and then there was the way one... they decide who gets the ball in overtime. And yeah, football and there was one town out in the mountains that did a best of three, so they, they were going to flip it three times and I guess try to uh, balance out the odds a little bit more that way. Anybody do rock, paper, scissors? No, I don't think so, although I wonder if that's that would be permissible um, or whether there's too much strategy involved I don't know there. if that qualifies know. as by lot or not. Probably not. Anyway, Colin, thanks for that great story. It was entertaining and intriguing at the same time. And uh, we'll be back with our final segment of the week, which, as always, is Headliners of the Week. So you smash your thumb with a hammer. Ouch! You race to the hospital. And they ask, what medications are you taking? Thankfully, in your wallet is a list with your medications on it. Wife went to safemedication.com, downloaded the free template, and wow, that pink pill has a real name. To create your own medication list, visit safemedication.com or talk with your hospital pharmacist. Brought to you by the American Society of Health System Pharmacists. And we're back on the Domecast for our third and final segment that we like to call Andy. Headliners <laughs> of the week. That's Andy Curlis for all of you good. who didn't recognize his voice. Uh, he's much better at the inflection on headliners of the week than I'll ever Headliners be. of the week. There you How's go. that? Perfect. Is that okay. Perfect. So Andy just showed up from his car troubles and he's here. Guesting. Guest, yeah, we'll have, guest on the Domecast. First time as a guest. It's awesome. Um, it's great to so be we'll here. have four headliner nominees this week. We'll give each of our panelists 45 seconds to name a headliner and describe why they think they should be named the headliner of the week. And we're starting with Andy. Andy, who's your All right. I'll throw in the hat uh, David Geis, who is, whose title escapes me right now. What is he? The prison uh, director, prison director director of adult corrections prison director is what i think of i guess that's the shorthand for that don't start the clock on me yet pat i'm still uh ding ding okay so i'll throw david geis in the hat as a uh, potential headliner of the week it's kind of a look ahead headliner how's that we've got that uh i know you talked about the uh the big uh, uh govops uh, meeting coming up and David Geis is a figure in that prison contract story who really uh, we haven't heard from. Uh, he was uh, sort of a no comment, I think, in all of the stories so far, but his name appears uh, on the agenda. And so I'll throw David Geis in there as someone who we haven't heard from, but would be certainly interesting to hear from in the coming week. All right, Andy Curlis, uh, special Guest on the Domecast, typically host, uh, goes with David Geis for Headliner of the Week. Um, next, we'll go to Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, who is your Headliner of the Week. Well, I'm going with uh, Kyle Hall, who's uh, soon to be appointed the uh, newest uh, member of the State House, replacing Brian Holloway, who stepped down to take a uh, school lobbyist position. Uh, he's going to be the youngest member of the General Assembly at 25. A few people around there who's younger than I am, so that'll be fun to cover. Uh, he's come from, I believe, the uh, office of Congressman Mark Walker, uh, I think he's a native of Stokes County. He uses the uh, hashtag Get Stoked to uh, describe his uh, his home community um, and will be uh, soon to join the General Assembly for the short session next year. I think he's also going to run uh, for that seat uh, in 2016. So Kyle Hall uh, is my pick this week. Some young blood in the General Assembly that probably needs some. Yeah, He uh, still looks like he's about 40, though, from the picture I saw. <laughs> <laughs> he used to work uh, for Senator uh, Neil Hunt, so he's been around the building quite a bit uh, the last couple of years. Um, Kyle Hall from Colin Campbell. 
next, we're here with Ben Brown from the Insider hey. State Government News Service, who is your headliner of the week. I'm going to say Reverend William Barber, the head of the uh, NAACP in North Carolina, who was presented with a uh, large cash prize, $100,000, from a uh, nonprofit partnership. It's the Nation Institute and the Puffin Foundation, if I'm saying that right. I think it's called the Nation Puffin Prize for Creative Citizenship or something like that, which recognizes his leadership in the uh, uh, HK on J and Moral Monday movements and all of that. And uh, he should be getting that prize. I I think it's a a gala in New York City. I think the date is December 8th, but that's a pretty big sum of money. So I'm going to say Reverend William Barber. Well-known Reverend William Barber, the head of the state NAACP, getting a huge uh, monetary prize. Hey, has he, has he said what he's going to do with it? I haven't heard back from the NAACP. The, the question I had was, you know, it seems like there's some opportunity here. What are you going to do with that money? Um, remains to be seen or heard. William Barber, our third nominee for Headliners of the Week. Uh, next, we'll flip over to uh, Craig Jarvis from the NNO, who was on earlier. Craig, who's your Headliner of the Week nominee? Not somebody we've mentioned before here, I don't believe. Dale Falwell, a former uh, state legislator who now runs the uh, Unemployment Security Division, where he has been making the governor look good, if you look at it that way. Uh, this week, the governor was able to announce that the state had not only paid back $2.8 billion it had borrowed from the feds to pay uninsur- unemployment claims, but that it has now got a, saved up a billion dollars past that to create a new reserve, a new surplus, and they did this really by uh, the very controversial cutting back of benefits for uh, people who uh, were without jobs for quite a while, cut back the amount you get each week and, and the number of weeks you can collect. Uh, but it also was a, a burden that business had to pick up. There was a surcharge on business. And uh, that business surcharge will be lifted now. They figure that'll pump a bunch of money back into the economy. It all was really Dale Falwell uh, directing this and uh, making this happen, uh, and uh, so he'd be my choice. So Dale Falwell um, is Craig Jarvis's nominee uh, for a headliner. This is a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to go with Dale Falwell. Um, this probably is his first time being the headliner of the week. He, um, you know, he's been at the head of that that whole situation where the governor likes to say the state. Uh, cut up its credit card to the federal government, and now it looks like there's actually a big surplus. Of course, people on the other side might say the surplus is the result of a lot of unemployed people not getting the benefits they used to receive. But still, I guess it's good to cut up the credit card and 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 build a surplus. Um, and it, and it does, I guess, look good for for the governor. So Dale Falwell is our headliner of the week. And with that, we're done for today, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.